This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast that strives to make you believe that award season really is a year-round affair. I'm Vanity Fair Digital Director Mike Hogan. I'm here with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. Patching in from the Bay Area. (laughs) Hi, guys. Hi. We have a very exciting show today. I feel very privileged to be sitting at a table with one of the most hated men in superhero fandom, Richard Lawson, whose uh, Suicide Squad uh, review has touched off quite a controversy, storm of controversy. Yeah, my my Twitter mentions are sort of a horror show. <laughs> I mean, it's actually, it's dissipated a little bit, but last night it was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Woody Allen's new movie, Cafe Society, and what to do when someone you have a lot of problems with personally keeps making Oscar-y movies and how everybody deals with that. But first, we are going to kick off with some Oscar news items that Richard is going to share with us. And I'm excited because they're apparently about Brad Pitt. Yeah. So, you know, when we when we talked about the Toronto lineup, you know, we were saying that that really helps give shape to the Oscar season. But obviously there are other festivals. There's the New York Film Festival. Well, that's the one after Toronto. And there are other movies that don't play festivals. So today we got a little bit of news about two of those movies. Um, the first is Allied, this Robert Zemeckis movie with Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard about, and Lizzie Kaplan and Matthew Good. It's a good cast. About a, a, a spy who falls in love with a French resistance fighter in North Africa during World War II. And then they, it's kind of a romance thriller kind of a thing. And it's Zemeckis, so you'd imagine there's some spectacle to it as well. They just released like some first images from it. And I had kind of honestly, it, that movie had not been on my radar at all. But if you look at the yeah. cast and the director, yeah. and Zemeckis has directed, you know, like Denzel Washington got nominated for Flight, Tom Hanks for Castaway, Forrest Gump, obviously. So Zemeckis actually has a pretty good history of the Oscars. Yeah. So I don't think we should count that out, even if it's more of a thriller than it is, um, you know, a serious drama. So that's exciting. And then the other bit of news is that The Lost City of Z, which is an adaptation of a nonfiction book about explorers uh, in South America in, I believe, the late 1800s, perhaps early 1900s. I read it, but I forget. Um, anyway, big star-studded cast, directed by James Gray, who made The uh, the Immigrant that Marion Cotillard was nominated for an Oscar for. Oh, no, excuse me. She was going to be nominated for an Oscar for that, but then ended up a different movie. But that movie was very well received by critics a couple years ago. And this is a big kind of period epic drama that's going to close out the New York Film Festival. It was just announced today. Wow. So that's that could be a big deal. That could be a new player, I think, in the Oscar landscape. Brad Pitt, nominated for Moneyball, for Benjamin Button. For 12 Monkeys for 12 years monkeys. ago. Yeah. 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 So Thrice, three times to the dance and still hasn't uh, worn the crown or whatever. Yep. I'm not sure how that <laughs> metaphor Can we works. anticipate that at least the Hollywood Foreign Press Association would, would invite him to the Golden Globes? Because... If they're going to nominate Angelina Jolie for The Taurus, they're going to take any opportunity to nominate Brad Pitt. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's a given. I think you know. that does sound pretty like much like a given. Although, hasn't the kind of Hollywood foreign press sort of become a little less thirsty in recent years? It seems like lately they've been a little bit more kind of self conscious about not doing the cheesy thing. Yeah, I mean, I think also the, the you know the, the year that the tourist happened with Angelina Jolie, like I think it was just kind of a weird year for comedy musical movies, and so they just were like, ah, eh, sure, here you go. And I think right. there's just been maybe a little bit more competition in that arena lately yeah so and we should maybe note that in terms of golden globe news they just announced that jimmy fallon will be hosting this year instead of ricky gervais so that's something to look forward to yeah we can look forward to some weird some fun games on stage <laughs> yeah you know europeans love games they sure I don't do know, do they <laughs> lip syncing you have to lip sync your acceptance i wonder speech. if he'll do like his neil young impersonation or something you know, or bgs or he, something uh-huh, yeah 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 Hmm. I mean, there's just a real, there's a lot, there's a lot that he could do, which is exciting. And, and probably it won't involve him walking out cheekily with a beer like Ricky Gervais. So probably a change up. It is funny. I mean, he's a pretty nice guy. Mm-hmm. That's a big, that's a big turn from Ricky. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. That's a more like fun show. Like let's celebrate yeah. everybody and not like, let's tear down the industry. Yeah. I wonder if he was their first choice. I mean, they asked me, but I, yeah. I have, obviously my responsibilities are to this podcast. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, yeah. No, that's a good question. I would, I would guess so just because his the Tonight Show is so popular. He's so yeah. viral. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, and he skews young. So mm-hmm. maybe that was kind of the thinking. There. And I mean, yeah. if, they, if they want to recapture, try to recapture some of the Amy and Tina vibe, you know, he and Tina spent all that time on the weekend update desk together. It's sort of a return to that SNL hosty sort of thing. Yeah, it seems like now that you mention it, it seems very likely that we'll see some Tina and Amy uh, cameo there. That I night. would hope so. Yeah, yeah, I they're, should hope so. They're sorely missed. So they are. <laughs> Amal is a human rights lawyer who worked on the Enron case, was an advisor to Kofi Annan regarding Syria, and was selected for a three-person UN commission investigating rules of war violations in the Gaza Strip. So tonight, her husband is getting a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> Okay, well, enough stalling. Let's talk about your Suicide Squad review. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I remember lines such as this is a bad movie not bad in a good way not bad and I'm, I'm just quoting from memory but but you, you really hated this movie yeah you know i saw it earlier this week and you know th- there's look there's no reason to be angry if you get to go see a movie in the middle of, the, of a work day you know mm-hmm. and i and i did and, it, and so i should should at least be t- not take that for granted but <laughs> have some popcorn yeah, enjoy yourself but, yeah, richard but i got out of this movie and i was like that movie just ruined my day <laughs> And I, I came home and I, because there was a turnaround time with like the way that the embargo worked. And so I had to kind of get the review written quickly and which is fine. I think sometimes that's actually the best way to do a review, but um, it kind of like festival style. Yeah. But and the I words just, just flow, flew out as, of you. As if I sort of went into a fugue state. Yeah. And, uh-huh. yeah, and I just channeled. And when you finished, your, your nose yeah. was bleeding. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. It was very, the lights <laughs> flickered and when a writer started crying. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, it was, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, 
I would say that there has been a mounting sort of frustration with superhero movies that really sort of st- cracked with this, you know, and and I think that it's this is a just movie for it to sort of um, to get the kind of lion's share of that because it really is kind of a kind of a gross movie, but it just kind of represents a lot of things I'm just sick of with superhero movies. I would say, but I mean, would you make a distinction at all between the Marvel brand and the Warner Brothers brand? Because for me I, personally, I'm going into Su- I'm seeing Suicide Squad Friday. I'm going in with no expectations whatsoever because I've been burned by DC and Warner Brothers before with Batman v Superman, and I didn't even like Man of Steel. But I'm still looking forward to Marvel movies. So, is does that distinction work for you, or is that is it just general superhero fatigue? Well, I mean, lest I guess lest I get accused again, which I have been accused of now hundreds of times in the past day <laughs> of being in Marvel's pocket, as any critic, many critics have been. Yes, yes. Um, and it, you know, it, the the people who are really um, entrenched on either side of this kind of fanboy divide really have a trouble not seeing the world the rest of the world is this binary it's like i don't actually have allegiance to either one my only allegiance is that the marvel movies just are better right they're just you know whatever you're gonna you can say that you feel like you can say and that. that's yeah. all i mean, I, mean I, I don't mean that you know yeah. marvel bought you a lamborghini or anything like that but just sort of no it was an audi well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean something we talked about comic-con last week but a really clever observation someone made that was not me is that Warner Brothers keeps having to go to Comic-Con being sort of starting from scratch saying, we'll do it right this time. We Guys, we promise. We, we got it this time. I'm sorry about the last one, but we got it. Whereas Marvel is just coasting on hit after hit after hit. And they're like, yeah, we know you like what we do. We're just going to keep doing it. Let's go. So, I mean, it's just a real divide in these two studios trying to lift up all this comic book history, you know? So, And I think, you know, Mar- the Marvel success is a testament to like, you have to build the foundation of the house. Well, and they did with, you know, Iron Man all the way back in 2008. They just, and then with Joss Whedon kind of doubling up on that with the Avengers, they just, they built, it's a well-built house and they can put, they can redesign rooms in whatever way they want. And it still works. DC just has not. And Warner brothers just have struggled from the beginning to establish anything because they had these wonderful Christopher Nolan, Batman movies, that were so good, but they were they weren't they they weren't enough to build a, a sort of huge franchise on because they're so dark and serious, and it's not you know. So they've tried to kind of add fun into the dark and serious vibe, and it just doesn't work. And with Suicide Squad in particular, it's just this kind of gleeful but weirdly boring violence that, like, right now in American society, loving shots of a table full of machine guns is not like really yeah. what I don't think anyone wants, or at least I don't want. Right, right, right. right. That was a phrase from your, from your review. I think you used the phrase gun worship that sort of stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I even want to see this movie. I will, but I don't know that I want to. And it's really interesting to me, the different takes and what I think an issue with Warner brothers, I say all of this, having not seen suicide squad yet, an issue with Warner brothers is they have the more famous superheroes. They have Batman and Superman, so I think they thought they didn't have to build that foundation because they already had it. They've got the most famous capes, you know, uh, but they right. were. Yeah, I mean, the Marvel mistaken. superheroes in, in comparison were kind of budget, you know, until until this right. past yeah. run of, of 10 years. Like it was uh, sort of years. laughable that there would be a Thor movie before there was a Thor movie. Yeah. You were like, oh, really? <laughs> and now they're going to be Captain America was yeah. definitely the wackest superhero. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like totally square and boring and, you yeah. know. 
Um, but now but they the it tables out. have been turned. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Suicide Squad reveals also, you know, I, someone on Twitter or something yesterday was like, DC has the best villains. And it was like, if those are the best villains, like there's like one guy who's just like Boomerang Man. <laughs> he has an Australian accent and a boomerang. And it's like, really, guys? Excuse me. It's million? Captain Boomerang. Get it oh, right. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, Captain Boomerang. And what about the actors? Because one of the things that you said that I thought was interesting was that, you know, the actors are kind of ill-served by this material, oh, which, yeah. which happens. Like, we see that. They're all sure. at the mercy of, at some level, the, the director, the studio, whatever it's going to be. So, and, and there's some kind of... Oscar-y actors in this movie. Oh, for uh, sure. Cashing a check so no one's going to feel bad for them. But but what was your sense of how they were ill-served by this by the film? Well, yeah, I would say at the top of the heap in terms of actors are Viola Davis, Will Smith, and Margot Robbie. And and I guess Jared Leto, too. I mean, he, he he's a smaller part as the Joker. But he's an Oscar winner. Viola Davis and Will Smith are both, both Oscar nominees. Margot Robbie's sure to be at some point in her career. They're all really talented. And I can see why all of them agreed to do this movie, at, well, you know, years ago when they were signing the deal, because right. it sounds fun. It's villains kind of, you know, yeah. tearing through the city and being bad. And, and then Viola Davis is this really kind of corrupt, ethically dubious uh, government official who assembles this team of, of rogues. You know, it made sense. Right. But, and, a, and, a, and a cool, diverse cast. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Margot Robbie yeah. with the opportunity to kind of give life to a character that's a kind of a fan sort of yeah dark horse favorite or whatever you want to call it like mm-hmm. not not batman or superman but somebody who really could be seemingly a big female superhero hence the fact that they greenlit the movie for her which we can also talk about yeah so anyway go on yeah no so it, i mean it all makes sense and then and i think you know even though i'm not the biggest fan of the director and writer david Ayer, there are plenty of people who are and he's he made you know the movie end of watch with jake gyllenhaal the yeah which LA i like a lot movie. yeah mm-hmm. and fury with brad pitt the tank movie and you know so on paper it all makes sense but some somewhere in the execution maybe it had to do with these kind of reshoots that people have talked about and um after batman for superman kind of critically tanked and sort of box office didn't do that well they went they went in for reshoots and the, the rumor is that they tried to make it more funny the suicide squad you know so i think that just everything got jumbled and you can see will smith and viola davis and margot robbie really struggling to find their footing in it you know yeah. and and i do for a little while i mean I, they're all they're they're good performances you know they're these are good right. actors sure um it's just that like they get lost ultimately in this kind of muddle and then the joker i, I didn't really the marketing materials for the movie wouldn't w- don't really prepare you for the fact that this is really just a kind of introduction to him and it's a setup for him to be in more in a, in, in a bigger role in another movie right so right. we don't see even that much of jared leto's you know famous kind of method yeah. stuff well last time we talked about how you know, Marvel has kind of figured out one version of this and Warner Brothers seems to be experimenting more by bringing in auteurs, you know, doing different types of stuff because they can't do what Marvel Marvel does. Marvel's kind of, you know, taken ownership of that style. But so what now? If this if this is the second one in a row that's not working, they go dark, they go heavy, whatever it is, and it, and it doesn't land, what what can Warner Brothers do now? Well, I don't know. What about you, Joanna? Do you see any viable path forward for DC? Can they build a, you know, a cinematic universe that works uh, going forward? I know it's sort of a fool me once, shame on you sort of thing. And I feel like this is fool me three times. But I'm still optimistic about Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. That looks 
good to me. And I think partially because it leans into that thing that Marvel does do so well. Wonder Woman is sort of the Captain America of this. I mean, Super Superman should be the Captain America of this franchise, but uh, Zack Snyder had other ideas for him and decided to go really dark. But it seems like they're making Wonder Woman into this virtuous, strong, stalwart hero, which optimism in our comic book movies is, I think, something America is looking for. And so the darkness of Suicide Squad, which David Ayer, every time he talks about it, is just reveling in how dark it is. And the same with the dark darkness in Batman v Superman. I don't think it's really flying with people outside the DC loyal fan base. Now, that being said, they're trying to do Justice League lighter. They're pitting a lot of their hopes on Ezra Miller's character, The Flash, because who's now going to be in Wonder Woman, because he's the quote-unquote funny one. So they're trying to inject this lightness in and I think get closer to Marvel, even as they protest that they're not. And I don't know if that weird hybrid of tone is going to work for them, but that's, I think, what they're trying to do. Yeah, and that Wonder Woman trailer is pretty great. So hopefully that that me, but you know I liked the trailer for Suicide Squad. So (laughs) (laughs) well, and the the last thing on this topic that I want to ask about is the Harley Quinn movie. Now, what does this mean? Is uh, you know does does this spell disaster for that, or can that be a complete reboot and be fine? I mean, to me, I I, you know I don't know really the ins and outs of of how the sort of economics of this work, but to me, you know, other reviews I've read, other kind of reactions on Twitter, people genuinely seem to like her. Yeah, and like the performance right. and like the character, and think that she's uh, you know worth more. So, right. so yeah, I, th- I think that probably. Look, I you know I, I took the subway home uh, after the movie with uh, David Sims, who writes for the Atlantic, and he was like, "Oh, this movie is going to make a ton of money." He's like, "It's going to do right. so well," yeah. and um, I think he's probably right. At right. least it will so, do really, you know. whatever. It's critic so, proof at some level. Yeah. So I think that she's and it probably... may be the Donald Trump of movies mm-hmm. where we all hate it, but it's speaking to you know an audience that's not coastal elite people. I don't know. Right. Well, and, and also during the movie, it did yell at a baby to to get the, they said get get a baby out of the room or whatever. <laughs> this is going to be a date joke. The by baby out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I th- I think unless you've heard otherwise, Joanna, I I think that I, all lights are still green for that for that movie. Um, I, well, I was actually, I thought it was still sort of questionable, not entirely greenlit yet, but very close. And I agree with everyone that Mar- if, if any, if anything's going to come forward out of this, it's going to be Margot Robbie. I agree. This movie is going to make a lot of money, but I think like Batman v Superman, we will see a drop between weeks because uh, it's going to have a huge opening weekend, but I predict a drop, not as precipitous as Batman v Superman, but the reviews are almost worse for this than they were for Batman v Superman, I think. So I, I don't know how, how much legs this will have, I guess. A friend of mine asked me after I saw Suicide Squad, he's like, well, how does it compare to Batman v Superman? And I, I said, Batman vs Superman looks like the cherry orchard next to Suicide Squad. <laughs> so, oh my God. yeah, I don't think I don't know. Word of mouth is going to be tough for this one. Well, I'm hoping to get on the poster with the Donald Trump of movies. Oh yeah, and I, I want to let all the publicists know out there we don't win anymore, folks. Uh, okay. Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. There's an event in Midway City. I want you to enter the city, rescue HVT-1, and get them to safety. I'm sorry, uh, for those of us who don't speak good guy, what is HVT-1? The only person that matters in the city, the one person you can't kill. 
Complete the mission, you get time off your prison sentence. Fail the mission, you die. Anything happens to Colonel Flagg, I'll kill every single one of you. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. There's your pep talk. So that's it. What, we some kind of suicide squad? I'll notify your next kin. So, Cafe Society, which is Woody Allen's uh, latest effort, which had a big, splashy premiere at Cannes amidst controversy, personal controversy for Woody Allen, uh, has now opened wide this last weekend in the United States. And I decided I wanted to see it. This would be the first Woody Allen movie I saw since Midnight in Paris, I believe. And I decided I wanted to see it just because I really love Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg, and I wanted to see what was happening. But I felt weird about supporting Woody Allen because I have a very strong emotional negative response to a lot of his personal uh, his comments in his personal life and so I decided to buy a second ticket for Star Trek Into Darkness and slip into the Cafe Society theater so that I could watch the movie without giving him my $10 or what have you uh, and, and I did Hero! Not even- <laughs> you are a hero! A modern day Robin Hood Yes <laughs> And sad to say, I didn't even like the movie. Like, I hated the movie. And so I was, well, I was glad that I hadn't give, paid my money and compromised my morals by seeing it. But I had compromised my morals just by even going at all, I guess, is how I felt. But I was wondering if you guys grapple with this more thing. Richard, I know you're on ground zero at Cannes, both of you, while all of this was sort of happening. So wh- what are your thoughts on this movie and the Woody Allen legacy? Well, I think uh, what I noticed at Cannes when Cafe Society was premiering and, you know, there was all these Dylan Farrow article or Ronan Farrow article had had dropped the day, that day. And is that, you know, in years past, while we all sort of were aware of these accusations, there was kind of like, a eh, well, what are you going to do? And that, well, what are you going to do has like dissipated by, like by Cannes this year. Like it was a lot harder yeah. to kind of be like, well, you know, and so a lot there were, you know, and I think that's that's good. I mean, you know, it, everyone, it takes a while for people to come around on these things. And so I think watching Cafe Society in in Cannes, which has a great cast and it's a fun story, you're half of your mind, at least not more, is sort of just like, what is everyone doing in this movie and what are we doing here? You know, yeah, it's harder to kind of go, you know, cover your ears and go la 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 um, because it's just it's this story just keeps growing. Yeah, it's it's true, and you just think, how do actors keep taking the role? And it's not actors aren't responsible for anything that Woody Allen has done in his life um, or for litigating it or, or, you know, and, and, but you do sort of wonder like if, if we're uncomfortable buying a $15 ticket, you know, what kind of conversations do people have to have with themselves to say, am I going to make this project? You know, I think for a long time, frankly, it was seen as a very like an express train to, the Dolby theater or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, and, and Kate Blanchett is the last person who has, who did that successfully. I think, you know, a lot of the recent controversy erupted in the middle of that Oscar race. And I think you saw Kate Blanchett really distance herself during that race. She was not showing up places with Woody Allen. And, and I think that, you know, it, it really creates a sticky situation. I mean, there's just a weird, you know, it feels like, it's not quite Bill Cosby level, obviously, but um, but I mean, it's it's close enough that it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think the Bill Cosby scandal breaking wide the way it did 
puts a different spin on the Woody Allen thing because people are so inclined to give Woody Allen the benefit of the doubt because there seems to be a gray area there for him that people were inclined to give Bill Cosby the benefit of the doubt and then the gray area just disappeared. And so people don't want to be on the wrong side of history with Woody Allen. I think it learned their lesson from Bill Cosby. And I want to say that, of course, I, I was completely wrong. Of course I saw Blue Jasmine. I don't know what I was thinking. Of course I saw that. So I keep <laughs> I keep feeding the Woody Allen machine, you know, myself. It's But that's isn't that one of the biggest, strongest points that, that Dylan Farrow made where she called out his various collaborations collaborators like Emma Stone or Diane Keaton and she said how how can you how can you do this knowing what you know about what happened to me and I thought that was one of the stronger sort of arguments she could have made uh, but it's still sort of rolling off the backs of a lot of Hollywood actors who want to work with the with the legend that is Woody Allen so yeah it's incredibly sad and and of course you know Diane Keaton coming out and giving him what was that big lifetime achievement award that she that she gave him oh I don't remember was so that the where globes, she sang the globes wasn't it it was the golden globes and she, yeah she sang the song yeah. i mean on the one hand it's like nobody could be a better kind of character witness for Woody Allen than Diane Keaton on the other hand that in itself was kind of creepy yeah. and uh yeah it's just uh it, it, it's just strange and and i say this as someone who you know annie hall and manhattan are like two of my favorite movies of all time but but even then you can't watch those movies and not notice things you go there's something really weird going on with this guy yeah <laughs> and it just gets weirder as time goes on yeah and there's weird stuff in you know in cafe, cafe society um you know i think there's that one incredibly vulgar and just unnecessary scene with the prostitute where basically the scene ends with the prostitute begging Jesse Heisenberg to sleep with her and when it's a transactional you know and it's just like he doesn't none of this sort of swirl of his controversy of his personal life seems to have there's no thought in his movies about it. There's no, he does no grappling with it. And I mean, in the same way that Roman Polanski hasn't grappled with any of his stuff, you know, so I guess you can't blame them for that, but it's also, it, it makes watching them increasingly. I mean, cafe society, I was sort of like, I don't know if I want to do this again. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, watching Steve Carell and Kristen Stewart, like I, I have had enough of the older man, younger women romances and Woody Allen movies that just seem, as you say, completely unaware, like without a trace of irony. And I would be interested in Woody Allen exploring some of these themes that would be really interesting to me because he is obviously a smart thoughtful person but as you say i mean he has said himself that he doesn't read any of the things that are written about him or said about him and whether or not that's true that sort of deflective shield he's put up has blocked him artistically from engaging in the conversation so so you think you'd actually rather see a a, a film that honestly grappled with this whole with this thing rather than what what tends to happen in his films are there these little kind of glancing references that are almost that almost make everything worse yeah i mean wouldn't you watch a woody allen movie where he really really confronts this whole thing i mean even if it's just a train wreck wouldn't you buy tickets i would legitimately buy tickets to that that ticket not star trek you'd give him the you'd give him the money for that (laughs) i would if he were that (laughs) honest if you were brave enough to be that honest with what's going on around him yes i would my one regret in life is that i can't play an instrument i used to date a musician did you a sax player very brilliant Mm. i play those sad songs with so much feeling Mm, that's a great gift. I would have married him, but he was a dope addict. Really? You know, see, I don't like dope. It messes you up. 
Well, I, I tried it a few times when I was with him. Did you? Yeah, we smoked reefers, and uh, I, I even tried opium once. Look at you. What was the, uh, <laughs> I'm curious, what was the effect? Oh, I, I didn't like it. No, I, I don't have an addictive personality. Oh, he good. did. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, but muggles made me feel sexy. Sorry, muggles? The, the reefers. But you called them, you called them muggles? He did. So you married a musician? I married a stockbroker. Well, it doesn't seem terribly likely that Cafe Society is going to be a big contender in the uh, best original screenplay race this year. No. But a few years ago, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen won yeah. the Oscar. He didn't show up. He doesn't really show up. Why doesn't he show up again? Does anybody remember? Just I don't, I don't think he, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I think, didn't they do like an ode to New York after 9-11 and he was part of the video? But I think that's the last time he's done anything Oscar-wise. Right, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Midnight in Paris by Woody Allen beat The Artist, which I think is ridiculous because there was no words in it. <laughs> Bridesmaids by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. Margin Call by J.C. Shandor, and A Separation by Asghar Farhadi. And can somebody pronounce the uh, name of the guy who wrote the artist? Because I skipped it because I'm afraid to say it. Oh, Michel Hazavin. Perfect. Vicious. Uh, Great pronunciation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I used to be able to pronounce that. During that Oscar season, <laughs> I could say that last name. Oh, yeah. There's always like two yeah. or three names you have to you learn every learn. Oscar and then, season. And then it's gone and then, uh, the morning after. Michel Hazanam. Yeah. Hazanavicious. Okay. Anyway. So what do we think? Joanna? I when I flag, raised this earlier today, I got the feeling you might stand by this win. I mean, I love Midnight and we're not, in Paris. And I want to just I, clarify, <laughs> this is not a moral... We're not talking about morality here. We're just going to try to separate that and just say, what's the best screenplay? Yeah, yeah I do. Let's I love Midnight that. in Paris. I quote it a lot. Like I quote the any, artist all the time. Sorry, <laughs> like the barking noise. Anything that... Um, that Corey Stahl, as Ernest Hemingway said in Midnight in Paris, I quote a lot. I really love that movie. I hate that I love that movie, but I do. If I were to give it to anything else, it would actually probably be Bridesmaids because that kicked off something. And I think a lot of what it kicked off is right there in the script in terms of the way women were allowed to be in comedies. But uh, I would stick by Midnight in Paris. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, my least favorite part of Midnight in Paris is the Ernest Hemingway thing. I don't know why it just drives me nuts. I just didn't buy it. It really is like they died in the mud and the dirt. And he's speaking these like short, like, sense. Oh, and I, that's my favorite Corey style performance, too. So, <laughs> okay. Well, it might actually be, never mind. Okay. Go on. Uh, Richard, what do you think? I think it's a, such a weird year. That's what I was saying to you guys before we recorded. Like, yeah. it's just like, I mean, a silent movie. Yeah. Uh, a foreign language movie, which they almost never get nominated for screenplay awards, you know. Yeah. So um, and a giant comedy, and with a giant a comedy poop scene, yeah, like with a, large a huge pooping scene. diarrhea scene. So, uh, what a what a weird year. But that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, I would, I would, I would say, I would give it to somebody else. I would probably give it to a separation to Oscar for Hadi. I mean, it, that movie won the best foreign language um, Oscar that year, so it didn't go home empty-handed. But it's such yeah. a fantastic movie. And you know, when you talked, uh, you know. When you talk to sort of international cinephiles at something like Cannes, that movie remains like it, it's held in, in, in such high regard um, among that kind of scene that um, I think it's a special piece of art. And I think that it, it would have been a nice way. I mean, to me, the artist just feels like a stunt nomination and it's it's a pretty great one. I'm still having fun making really bad jokes about it right now. <laughs> Uh, the script is but, only five pages. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and Bridesmaids, I mean, I love Bridesmaids. I saw it again recently, and I th- really do think it's so smart and good. But it doesn't feel like an Oscar thing to me. 
Margin Call. I want to go back and watch Margin Call. I, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I, it feels a little like vegetables right now, as does the separation. Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah, totally. And I also think that, that J.C. Shandor, you know, I, I wrote about uh, his movie after or two movies after Margin Call which uh, for VF, which was um, A Most Violent Year. Yeah. And I kind of look, looked at those three movies, All is Lost, Margin Call and Most Violent Year as kind of like a weird little trilogy because his father was a big Merrill Lynch executive. So he has this very conflicted relationship with big finance. Yeah. And I yeah. think that Margin Call, while a really interesting, compelling movie, it's a little bit like... At a, at the kind of height of the crash, it's kind of a little forgiving of them. Yeah, it's oh, really? I think it is way. apologist. Um, yeah, and it's so. and as you mentioned with the vegetables, it's hard to go back and eat those vegetables when you have something like the big short, which is like the meat and the veg, right? Like yeah, that right. you have with a similar dessert. examination that they found a way to spice up in a way. So I don't know, guys. I kind of think it would be awesome if Bridesmaids had an Oscar. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw my Oscar at them. All right, I I, I can get behind that. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. I feel I'm so much more relaxed. Thank you, Helen. I just feel like I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party with the best of them. And wow. I'm gonna go down to the river. <laughs> Wow, it looks like somebody's really relaxing now. Yeah, wow. What are you guys talking about up here? Well, thanks for joining us on this special hate-filled edition of Little Gold Men. We are happy to brighten your afternoon or whatever time of day it is that you're reading this. You can follow all of our work on VanityFair.com. Please follow Little Gold Men on Twitter. And please follow everybody on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Hogan. Richard. I'm at Rylaws. Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. As always, we thank Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply for all that they do. And the award for most tear-stained page from Reince Priebus's diary goes to Joanna. We'll do it right this time. We Guys, we promise. We, we got it this time. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) 